At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Good morning, Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tam Tam. How it are you? the shit show. <laughs> a morning. It's... I don't even know where to begin, and I feel like everything just happens in threes for me, so I mm. don't know if that's the case for you, but it has been a nightmare a few days. How about you? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much been a nightmare. We've had a death in my husband's family oh, this week. I heard about so. that. I'm sorry. Thank you. My husband's father passed away, although he did mm. pass away at the ripe age of 96. So he led a very good life and only yes. towards the end kind of went down. So we're thankful that he had a great, very active life most of his life. Mm. So, but it's just never easy. Death is never, it's not, it's you know, never, no matter. Uh, right. No matter how old you are or the person who is dying is, it right. never, it's never easy, right. you know? So we're kind and of- And I also feel like, you know, my birthday's coming up and it's kind of a big birthday. And like, it's the idea of like, I don't know, I'm having a lot of existential stuff come up. Like it's, mm-hmm. I've been in therapy a lot the last couple of weeks. Um, and it's just the question of like, you know, aging and where we fit in the world as we get older and women become- you know, there's a sense of us becoming more invisible and what is our meaning and purpose if it's not just, and I know that I, logically, I know that our purpose is not just to make babies, mm-hmm. but you know, when you start to go through perimenopause symptoms and then people then ultimately go through menopause, it's like, you feel like your body has said, well, I'm done. I'm done now. Like I'm done for this use youthful part of existence. And mm-hmm. it's time to to not be in that space. And that's been really difficult for me to like, accept that my body's like slowing down. And like, I don't know how many like eggs I have left. And we've had this Mm. conversation because I said to my husband, do I want another child? Or is it just that I feel like I'm getting older? You know what I mean? Mm. And then, then what happens when you get older and then you ultimately live out the rest of your life? Like that's, that's a big, you know, that's a lot of thoughts that are going through my head when it comes to that. Mm, okay. So you're still kind of like undecided a little bit. Like you're not a hundred percent one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, And I don't know if it's about the kid. Like, mm-hmm. like I was saying, I think it's more just about feeling like I'm getting older and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean for my reproductive system? What does that mean about for my life? Um, and just like you said, like David's dad lived till 96, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of us don't get that. So how many years do we have left? You mm-hmm. know, we don't know. Yeah, it is. It's a really, it really 
puts in perspective, like birthday, right. birthdays and deaths put in perspective, you know, like where you are in life. And it's almost like a recalibration, you know, and it's kind of letting go. I think of the old, like, you know, cause I'm sure like, I don't know, for me, when I was younger, I kind of had these like numbers in mind and was like, okay, by this age, I'll have this, this, and this, or like, this is the point where I'll be in my life. And it's interesting because every year, you know, a birthday or somebody passing or something ha that happens really makes you like, you know, kind of gives you a kick in the butt a little bit, you know, it's like, okay, like this is life. And I was look looking after, you know, my father-in-law passed away and I was scrolling through and I came across Eckhart Tolle, who is like this amazing, you know, speaker and author. I him. Don't mm -hmm. you love him? And, um, he was saying this moment right now is your life and it will always be this moment. So whatever it is, like, I know we think so much in like future and even in past, you know, it's like, oh, well, I wish I would have done that or differently or something. It's like, no, the, your life is right now. It is this moment. And it's always going to be this moment. Like no matter how old you are or, you know, what life changes you go through. And it really like that really kind of woke me up too, because I was thinking, you know, I mean, as you do, you know, you think about things that have happened or you think about things, you know, that you want or like goals and you should always have goals and things like that. But I think, I just think it was so interesting the way he said it. He's like, your life is what it is right yeah. now. And it's always going to be this moment. You know, you have to live in the present, you know, if you're always mm -hmm. living in the past or in the future, you're, you're going to be depressed or anxious. Like it just, it just is. And mm -hmm. I think this is a great segue to introduce our guest right now, because I know she's been through so much and she's actually died in real life. She actually, and, and, and for people who don't know her story, um, I think that you know, this is going to open up a lot of questions, a lot of understanding about mm -hmm. um, something that happened to her. And also I have so much, so many questions about, did she feel anything when she was clinically dead? Mm -hmm. So um, see, who do we have today? Well, we have um, a lady who's been through so much. She's a mom. She's actually a nurse herself and she's had three babies and her last baby, it was like one of the most harrowing birth stories I have ever heard before in my life. Like you're saying, she actually died on the table, like was pronounced dead, you know, like, I mean, just actually went through that. So, you know, as soon as I heard the story and you and I were talking about her, you know, we, we had to know more, we had to know more of, of what goes on. And because she shared her story on TikTok and on social she has massively blown up. So um, we want to hear more of her story. So please welcome Nicole Hall from Before You Push. Woo! We're doing like a little clap because we're very excited to have you, but your story is also very harrowing. Yes. So we want people to be in yeah. in this in the right headspace um mm -hmm. for everything that's that's gone on and i'm sure you've told your story so many times and um but every new person that hears it i'm sure can you know you can give awareness and understanding of what you've been through and and maybe to help other mm -hmm. women who have post traumatic stress from also going through it and also what to look out for so um yes yeah, so i think the first question is please can you for all the people that don't know your story can you please share your story with us yes um I yeah absolutely I want to tell y'all thank y'all so much for just having me here I'm like 
fangirling how with both oh, of you. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you said, you just said y'all. So where are you from? Because <gasps> Russ and I both have a little y'all in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from Texas, but I live in Colorado Springs. Are you from- I'm, from, I'm from Dallas. Oh, okay. I'm from Amarillo. Okay. So at the top of Texas. So yes. I love Dallas. I love that. Yeah, you're panhandle girl. And I'm <laughs> North Texan. Nice <laughs> panhandle. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, so my third, third baby, crazy. Cause you know, as a young, healthy 29 year old, you would never think that would happen, you know? So a little background about myself. I've been a registered nurse for 11 years working in a history of pediatric ICU and the different areas of perioperative services. So pre-op, PACU, post-op, and we were going in to have our third baby. I typically have easy pregnancies, easy deliveries and delivery day is my favorite part, you know, snuggles with this little newborn baby that you finally get to see the face of. And like I said, as a young 29 year old mom, I had no warning signs or indications that my life would be at risk that day. So that morning we go in and I had a smooth labor process that morning. And I told my nurse, Hey, you know, when I feel nauseous and hot, it's typically time to start pushing. And she said, okay, yeah, just let me know. And that's how it was with my other two babies. So why wouldn't it be the same with this one? Well, not too long late, not too long after I felt nauseous and hot. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll check you. And she checked me and she said, no, you're only a six. And I thought in my head, that can't be right. That's when exactly at that time, my body had to have started to experience a life-threatening condition called an amniotic fluid embolism. My husband had said, he was standing right here on my right side. And he said, let me go grab you a cold washcloth. I'll be right back. And I thought in my head again, like, oh, that that's not going to work, but oh, okay. And so they're getting me over onto my left side, you know, turning me over because you get better cardiac perfusion that way. And I started saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't, I can't breathe until I, I couldn't say it anymore. And my husband then said, I started to turn red. I started foaming at my mouth mm-hmm. and then I turned blue. Well, the nurse hops on top of me instantly and starts, starts chest compressions and loses an IV, but gets another one in me. And they're unplugging my hospital bed as fast as they can. And they're running it down to the OR and they're moving me from my hospital bed to my OR table and I lose another IV. So there I was, no IV, no anesthesia. I had no doctor and no pulse, just time, right? My, my life mm. was now just ticking on the clock. Oh my goodness. So they get me on there onto the table and an ER doctor thankfully came to my code, which is not the norm. Cause at this specific hospital at where I was at, ER doctors were not required to go to in-house hospital codes. You know, they're too busy in the ER taking care of all the craziness in there. Um, but he later told me that he felt something pulling him up out of his chair to get to me. 
So he wow. said that he, I know, so crazy. He says that he casually just- Like he did, did he not, he didn't know that something was wrong. He just felt that he needed to get up. He felt it. He said he felt later, he called me a week later and he said, I have to tell you the side of my story. He's like, something was pulling me to you. Wow. And if anything, I know that you said that I saved your life, but I've walked away from my faith. And if anything, you saved my life. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was such a God like moment for me because after all of that, of course I was angry with everything that happened, angry mm-hmm. towards God, of course. Um, so yeah, he, he ended up going with that feeling and he walks to the elevator. He lets housekeeping on goes up a couple of levels, lets housekeeping off. And he's just walking casually to the OR thinking, oh, I'll just be an extra set of hands, like no big deal. And when he walks into that OR room of mine, a nurse yells, you're the first doctor we've seen. She's been down for five minutes. You have to get this baby out right now. He picks up his pace. Well, where's her, where's her OB? We've paged it. He's still not here yet. And he's trying to fill for a pulse. He can't fill for a pulse. And that's when he yells, someone get me a fucking scalpel. And oh, is that what he said? He says <laughs> that exactly. And you're like, that's, <laughs> you'll remember that line for the rest of your life. Oh, I will. <laughs> for his present, I made him a plaque and I have that engraved. <laughs> yeah. Get me a fucking scalpel. That's a great one. Scalpel <laughs> per, you know, Dr. Motes. Um, but yeah, now that hangs actually in the ER room. So all the like, medical professionals can see it, but he, he gets in there and, um, you know, he yells, someone get me a fucking scalpel. And at this point, the OR room is going crazy. And, um, you know, being in a code like that, there's a ton of people that are in there. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine there's, there's a lot of nursing staff in there just circling around and an ICU nurse comes in and yells and calms the storm. Thank God. And says, everyone stop. You do compressions. You give the epi I'll get the IO, which is a drill gun into my bone, which is just quick IV access. And -hmm. at this point, the ER doctor slices into me and my baby. And so, which happens during a code, it is normal. It can happen. And he, they're trying to work him out. They finally, you know, get him out. And um, at that point, you know, once they get him out, that's when I get a pulse and a blood pressure back. And he's holding down my, he's holding down pressure. And he was saying that that's when my OB doctor and a trauma surgeon show up at the door. And he's trying to like explain to them, like, hey, I don't know if I just hit an abdominal artery or what, but she just got a pulse and a blood pressure back. And so they come in to take over and he told me that the next thing that he did was he just went to the bathroom to cry because he was covered in my blood and the amniotic fluid. And he said that he just sat there and cried because he thought that for the rest of my son's life, he would have to say that the day he got a scar was from the day his mom died. Mm. And he said, I, I honestly didn't think you were going to make it. He said, you know, I've taken care of over a hundred thousand patients and it's either one or the other in something like that. It's, it's rarely ever both that make it. Mm-hmm. So during all of this, you know, of course, let's don't forget about my husband, 
um, when all this craziness was going down, he was told that they were doing a post-mortem C-section and that I had expired. Mm. And they said, do you want to gown up and kiss her goodbye? And I thought in my head, you know, like, oh my God, post-mortem, like what? It's technically it's a perimortem, but mm -hmm. he was told post-mortem as if I had died already, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's waiting, he's gowned up, ready to kiss me goodbye. And he's outside my OR room. I'm sure just, you know, pacing back and forth. And that's when a nurse pokes her head out and said, Hey, we did just get a pulse and a blood pressure back on her. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't want to go in there right now. I, I promise I'll, I'll keep you updated. And he, you know, falls to his knees, he says, and he just, he's praying as hard as he can. And they're working as hard as they can to stabilize me. They thought that, uh, I, they thought the bleeding had stopped. So from the amniotic fluid embolism, I went into cardiac arrest. So I flatlined, I had no rhythm on the heart, on the monitor. And then I go into DIC, which is blood clotting and then excessive bleeding afterwards. So they're trying to replace my volume and they thought they stabilized me. So they closed me back up and they do an x-ray just to see if they left anything inside me. Well, they, when they got the x-ray, they saw that they left a sponge inside mm -hmm. and it ended up being saving grace. So when they opened me back up, they saw that I was still profusely bleeding. So as a young 29 year old, they, they had to take my uterus. They tried to save it for the first, you know, the first go around. And then the second time it was a life or death situation. So I, they had no choice, but to take it. Mm. And the air doctor had sliced into my left ovary as well. So I just have one right ovary. Mm. Uh, and so once they, you know, they think they stabilize me enough, they leave me open with a wound vac and they're transporting me to my ICU room and they stop, they will me out and stop right outside the OR room. And with my eyes taped shut, they let my husband uh, kiss me on my forehead. And so mm -hmm. they are just, you know, they get me to ICU and my ICU nurse is just working her butt off all night long. She doesn't sit down once she's hanging blood after blood after blood products. And the day shift nurse who calmed the storm, who came in to run the code, she stays past her day shift till midnight uh, to sit outside the chapel to be with my husband. Mm. And two days later, I, I wake up in ICU and I have one of my good friends right here next to me. And I remember my arms were restrained and I remember me just like, they were finally loosened and I pulled them up and I thought, oh my God, like my hand was just so swollen from all the blood products. And I thought, okay, just, just don't look at it. Um, and she said, okay, they're about to pull the two, just, just stay calm. And we hadn't found out the gender to this baby because mm -hmm. we have two healthy girls at home. And I thought, you know, we're probably just going to have another girl, like no big deal. I'll just be a girl mom, whatever. And so as soon as they pulled the tube, like the first question that I asked was, what is it? And they said a boy. And so mm -hmm. that was like, my happy ending, I guess you could say. Wow. Mm -hmm. So oh, man, God, I mean, that's, just, that's absolutely harrowing. Um, yeah. because you know, how much of the, do you re remember any of this? Like, mm. do you have any recollection of like 
all the action that was happening or were you like blacked out this whole time like yeah and what does it feel like yeah (laughs) like what did yeah so they talk about when you're about to die a sense of doom you know I don't know if you've ever heard of that but you have a sense of doom rush over your body that you know that nothing is going to work and hindsight looking back um I started to lose consciousness like I my photographer who is one of you know is my best friend she got there to take pictures of my delivery and I remember hitting my husband and be like hey have you have you texted her like I think I'm about to start pushing and he just looked at me and was like she's right there and Mm -hmm. I thought god like I don't even remember her going in front of me and then you know, just the sense of doom was the biggest thing for me. Um, another like out of body experience, you know, I get that question a lot. Did you have an out of body experience? Mm-hmm. And I would say my out of body experience was me. I've, I really do picture me looking. I remember looking out the window and seeing my OB doctor and the resident running across the parking lot. And that was it. Mm. Other, other than that, you know, um, there was three like things that really almost like I say prepared me for it, which again, hindsight looking back is I had told my husband before all this happened, you know, Hey, if, if something happens, I need you like to advocate for me. And he was like, well, what does advocate mean? You know, he's mm-hmm. in the business world. He's not medical field or anything like that. And I said, it means if I cannot speak, I need you to speak for me. Mm-hmm. And then I had taken care of a intubated, intubated patient in PACU. And I remember um, it was this cute little old lady and she just had a bunch of like all these little white chin hairs. And I called my best friend over there and I, you know, and I was like, Hey, if I am ever intubated, I want you to, I want to still look good on the ventilator. Like I need you to plug <laughs> this chin hair. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what you care about. <laughs> right. I'm like, sometimes I see people getting like videos on TikTok and they like, and they're not, they wake up and I'm like, please don't take videos of me if I look like yeah. that and put it on the internet. I would be really upset about that. Yeah. I'd be like, guys, come on, like a better angle. It's always like below your chin too, isn't it? It's always like up your chin. And I'm like, that's not how I want to be remembered. Oh, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, just even just, I mean, really like real talk, like, yes, we, I just want, you know, I was telling her about that. Then it led into like deeper conversations of like, well, Hey, what's your wishes on the ventilator? You know? Mm-hmm. So we had this in-depth conversation of what we wanted when we were on the ventilator and what that looked like for our spouse. And then third thing was that month I, I picked the book of Matthew in the Bible to talk about. And in the book of Matthew, it talks about all of God's miracles, like walking on water, healing the blind and everything. Well, in this one chapter, it talks about I don't know if y'all know this, but it talks about this father runs up to Jesus and was like, Hey, my daughter just died. I need you to bring her back to life. And, you know, he goes over there and he brings her back to life and he goes back to the father and was like, she was just merely sleeping. And I thought it really stuck out to me that whole week. I was like, I don't ever remember him bringing back anyone to life besides him coming back to life. (laughs) And so Anytime when I say like, what does death feel like? You know, it felt like I had just been merely sleeping. Like I am not scared of death anymore because I do know what it feels like during that moment. And it was so quick and you leave everything. Like you don't even take the clothes on your back. You, you absolutely leave this earth. Yeah. So 
I have a question. So mm. you said that you didn't, because my biggest fear about death is nothing, right? Like that's, so before I go to bed and I have these existential thoughts, it's not that I'm like, I'm going to die and there's going to be this great afterlife and we're all going to be hunky-dory having a great time together. It's that like, what if it's nothing, right? And what if there's nothing? There's you. It's just nothing. I can't <laughs> really explain it. So I guess like what I, what makes me feel safe and feel better is when I hear these stories and I hear, well, I did see the white light and I did see, you know, God's hand or Jesus's hand, like pulling me up. And, and what scares me is when maybe what you said, which is there's nothing because, because <laughs> you're saying that you didn't feel, you didn't see the white, like you don't. Yeah. So from when you, so it's kind of like when you go, well, although you do dream when you go, when, when you have surgery, a lot of people do, but mm. so when you lost consciousness and flatline and then woke up, you don't remember anything between that. Mm -hmm. It's me looking out the window and seeing my out-of-body experience of them running to get to me. Other than that. So I does that make you feel more like it strengthens your faith or mm -hmm. does it confuse you because you were expecting something to happen mm -hmm. if you had quote unquote died? Mm -hmm. I think what strengthened my faith is the fact that when the ER doctor, I was so angry at God after this happened, like I couldn't mm -hmm. look at my Bible. I was not going to church. Like I, we all want to be there when our baby's born. We want to hear them say, oh, it's a boy. Like that, those were the things I was looking for. But when the ER doctor reached out to me and said, I felt something pulling me up out of my chair to get to you. And he had talked about him going off of his journey of faith. Mm -hmm. That's what like, it clicked. And then going back to me reading that chapter in the Bible and that specific chapter was just so clear to me, like, cause that's exactly how I felt was I had felt like I had just been merely sleeping. So if anything, I think it made it just, it guaranteed that there is an afterlife and it's not just nothing for your question. Um, you know, I think it's interesting too. Well, first of all, thank goodness that you were in a hospital and you were able to have like medical intervention, because I know that's, especially with like birthing and, you know, the trends nowadays, a lot of people have their kids like at a birthing center or at home, you know, or all these different locations, which it, I mean, I do think it is each person's individual choice and journey and what's right for somebody for somebody else might not be right for me. I mean, for me, I know that I wanted to be in the hospital. I'm like 100, because I'm too much of a worry ward anyway. I'm like, if something goes wrong, I want to have like every doctor, nurse, medical intervention available. So do you, was that like ever a consideration? Were you ever thinking, oh, I'm not going to have, you know, I would do a birth somewhere else. And I mean, how do you feel about, about that kind of thing? Yeah, so- I, you know, it being my third baby and still being 29 and healthy, I knew a mm -hmm. midwife here in town and I thought, oh, I would, you know, I love the pictures of mm -hmm. on Instagram and social media, how they're like, oh, this is beautiful as home birth and everything about it. But I knew to my core that that would not be me and mm -hmm. being a nurse and working in the hospital and mm -hmm. seeing so many things ca that can just happen in a blink of an eye, just so rare, but still happen. I was like, there's no way if anything happens, I want to be in a hospital who people, you know, with people that can react quick and get me there. Because even though I was inside a hospital, it still took them, you know, from start to finish, it still took them seven minutes mm -hmm. to 
for everything to rescue him out and all of that. And I feel like that's the time it would take for somebody just to get to my house or to the birth center Mm -hmm. to make their way to the hospital, because then I could be brain dead or my, my kid could have cerebral palsy, you know, just from the lack of oxygen. I, I am all for choice though. I, I do believe, you know, whatever you feel, um, is best for you definitely weigh the pros and cons and everything. So I I'm all for having choices, but I am not, um, I would not be a home birth or birth center. I'm mm. actually in doula now and I won't do any birth. Hey, I've got a question for you. Do you want to learn a new language? I know I do. I'm planning on going and visiting my sister in Spain this summer. So I am all about learning Spanish. So I'm going to turn to Rosetta Stone. They're a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. And Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. There's also built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's almost like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's so convenient and such a great value. And we have such a great deal for you guys. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Women on Top listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill centers or home birth. I I feel like women really need me in the hospital for advocacy. Mm -hmm. And since I'm so used to talking to nurses and doctors, I I feel like I can help them the best there. Mm. I mean, I almost had a home home birth or like a birthing center because I really did subscribe to this, you know, belief that, you know, babies should be and mothers should be in this environment that is very calming. And it's, it feels the most, um, like honest for your body. And, Mm. you know, my first birth, she was 10 pounds, had the cord wrapped around her neck and was breech. And we didn't know that she had the cord wrapped around her neck until she came out and we ended up having a C-section. But imagine I had been in a birthing center and was like, well, she's breached. And I know there's, uh, you know, a lot of people that know how to deliver breech babies. And they're telling me that it's going to be okay in a birthing center or a home birth. And And I think if I know that if we had given birth in that way, one of us would have died. There's Mm. no way because she couldn't descend. So, so the cord was wrapped three times around her neck. Uh, There would have been a, you know, a massive emergency situation. And, Mm. and that, yeah. And again, I'm also pro-choice when it comes to birthing your baby, but I just sometimes think, is it worth even that 5% Mm. risk? Is it worth it? I don't know. To me, it just wasn't. No, no, I don't think it is. There's too many things that could go wrong, you know? Yeah, I know. I 100% mm-hmm. agree. But, you know, I mean, everyone, I mean, we like to have our choices. So we mm-hmm. put that out there. 
but yeah. do I think it's safe? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I want to be here for my baby. I want to be here for my family. And if anything could go wrong, like I think the fastest would be in a hospital. I do get how people say, you know, like, well, the hot, you know, some people don't get the best care in a hospital or their mm. surgery, their OP was bad, or they had an awful nurse, but, you know, learning your steps on like advocating for your own self mm. is huge. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so important too. Like, I mean, I know you probably weren't in the position to do it at, you know, at that stage in the game, but I think, I think I was looking at your social and you had told your husband, right. To advocate for you in case you can't, you couldn't speak, you know, which I think was probably a game changer because that's probably what he did in that situation. I mean, how was he through all of this? Was he just kind of, you know, what, what was he doing throughout this whole thing? He knew to call my friend that I had talked about on the ventilator mm-hmm. with. He, so he called her in which she was a nurse and the best person to advocate for you is a nurse. If you have mm-hmm. a friend that's a nurse and you're going through something crazy, if you have a nurse friend, have them there. Cause they know the lingo so well, mm-hmm. because at one point they did tell her like, you know, too much, you know, and they were scared shitless about mm-hmm. her getting sued and, um, everything like that, because it, it can come down to everything like that. And, I, and we didn't do anything. Mm. We had two amazing outcomes. We, we didn't do, we didn't sue, but mm. he was, um, he was a wreck. He said he didn't eat that whole time he was there. And he, he, they had told him, you know, she's not out of the woods yet. Like he just really mm. said that he prayed a lot. He has like two rosaries that he was with. He was in the chapel a lot. He was by my side. He was having to go back and forth to my son, to me, to my son, to me, you know, and at one point, cause I always asked him, you know, how did you find out what the gender was? Like, I always mm. pictured me seeing your face of, of finding out. And he said that when they took him to ICU or to the NICU, he walked in there and there was two nurses over him and just like drying him off and everything. And he already had a diaper on mm-hmm. and he asked them, so like, what is it? And they looked at each other and they kind of were like, Oh, I don't remember. So they pull the diaper on and he sees, you know, his, his penis and, mm-hmm. um, and he just falls to the ground. <laughs> and cries like yay not another vagina like you know. yeah exactly that's what my husband wishes he's like if we have another child we're not having another vagina there's too many and then our dogs were all girls too he's like there's too many women in this house <laughs> too. like I was so prepared to be a girl mom like either way you know I, know, I thought that too yeah it's it's and I, since we didn't find out the gender you know when you're pregnant y'all have vivid dreams being pregnant yes so one of my dreams was since I never found out I was envisioning like dreaming that I brought home this baby from the the hospital still didn't know the gender and I was so Mm. scared to open the diaper just to see what it is like (laughs) from the hospital not knowing what the gender is of your baby I didn't I definitely didn't have those dreams but I definitely (laughs) had like what is the, what does it look like down there? No, I didn't, but I definitely had like the, the, I, I just knew, I thought it was a boy actually. That's, that's, that's right. But then I kept dreaming. She was a girl. My second, I kept dreaming. She was a girl, mm-hmm. but I kept thinking she was a boy to the point where when I got my scan back, I circled, I still have it. I sent it to my husband. I circled this thing that I thought was a little penis. And I said, it's definitely a boy. <laughs> and I think it was just like her finger or something or like, just like an extra toe. I don't know. 
but um but it definitely was not a penis <laughs> that definitely happens too i think that they can like mistaken because i've heard stories where they say it's like a boy and then it comes they are all bought the whole nursery got all the clothes like did everything and then it's a girl and mm-hmm. that can happen you know oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so then so for all our listeners who don't know what it am am neotic emblem <laughs> say that three times mm-hmm. amniotic embolism say that can fluid. you say it for me <laughs> <laughs> amniotic fluid embolism Emblo- why can't i say that embolism <laughs> Embol- <laughs> boxy you say it embolism. amniotic fluid embolism because this because you have a doctor as a dad i do it's true. you're probably cheating a little like bit six times. <laughs> okay so what is it and like is there is there things that women can do to uh, pregnant women can do to look out for it um is it just like mm. i almost had a uterine rupture which is a whole another kettle of fish but you know i guess they could have monitored me for that in the hospital for months before mm. so can you explain what it is and how how you know pregnant women can can be prepared mm. yeah absolutely so an amniotic fluid embolism it happens in 1 in 40,000 women which they say it's rare, but to me, nothing will ever be rare again. I think if hospital prepares mm. for everything to be rare and on their toes for everything, mm. I think it, it helps, you know, your chances of survival. So an amniotic fluid embolism an AFE is when the amniotic fluid gets into the mom's bloodstream and causes an anaphylactic, anaphylactic reaction. So it either, you know, signs and symptoms can be seizures, loss of consciousness, uh, cardiac arrest, which that was mine, cardiac arrest. And, and then, um, early intervention, there's no prevention. Unfortunately, there's no prevention, but early like recognition is key for this. So if women can just really speak up and, you know, tell them their signs and symptoms, like, and, and nurses and doctors are trained in this, in this stuff, which they should be, then that is what's going to decrease the mortality rate of an AFE. Does that make sense? Does that help a little bit Mm. of what that does? I mean, it's unfortunately, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's unpreventable. I wish there was a cure. I wish we could just give a drug and that person Mm -hmm. could just come right back. But unfortunately the events happen so fast. Like for me, you know, I just, all of a sudden I felt nauseous and hot, which I had Mm -hmm. on my other two babies, but I was losing consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Maybe if my husband would have known like, Hey, Nicole, like, are you okay? You, mm-hmm. you, she did step in front of you, you know, and just really telling the nurse, but that nurse has to be on her game too, you know, and not mm-hmm. just, like, Oh, Hey, well, that's okay. You're having a baby mm-hmm. that, you know, it comes with nerves. No, she needs to be asking like, well, do you, you know, is your, does your chest feel heavy? Like explain mm-hmm. to me more what you're feeling, you know, and really getting in depth with those questions as well. But hospitals should be training on, on AFE scenarios. Hmm. Uh, The hospital that I was at, you know, it's so crazy. Y'all heard of all the things that like went wrong. And I am like a miracle that I really am here with my family, but I, you know, they had no code team. And I think every hospital should have a code team. Like your dad, tell them that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, what? And it's not like I'm in a rural area. I live in Colorado Springs. Like this is a big city. How do you not have a code team? You know, there was protocols that were changed after me. So there is Mm -hmm. a code team now 
and they do require a OB hospitalist on deck at all times. So those are the questions for, you know, future moms or, you know, pregnant moms right now to be asking, like, mm-hmm. hey, do y'all, do y'all have a co-team at your hospital? What, what level of trauma care is your facility? You know, how big is your NICU? Mm-hmm. And, you know, do y'all require uh, OB hospitalists on deck at all times or not? Because that was the other issue is there was no OB on deck. He was practicing, his office was in the parking lot, but every second counts in a code. So him, you know, running down the stairs of his floor, running across the parking lot, him going up four flights of stairs at my hospital. I mean, that's minutes off of my life, right? Mm-hmm. When if an OB hospitalist was there, he could come in bedside and cut right at bedside. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Cause I would think like on labor and delivery, like on the floor, you know, they would have like an OB, but, um, you mentioned that you had a partial hysterectomy, um, removal of your uterus and your ovary. Um, so were you planning on having more kids after the third one or, is it like now that that's kind of happened, is there still like, you know, I mean, there's obviously other ways to have children as well. Um, but did that kind of change things for you? I think going in, we had thought, okay, I know this is my last, mm-hmm. but only, you know, I had three before 30 for kids. And then, you know, my other friends were having babies. My son is actually just now, he's going to be starting kindergarten in August. Mm-hmm. I do have those thoughts of like, I don't know, like exactly what you y'all were saying earlier, you know, I don't know if it's just the age thing or, or what, but I, I am mourning the baby stage, the toddler stage. Like, what do I do with my life? <laughs> it, it's kind of like the limbo right now for me, because my, I mean, it's it, my time as a stay at home mom partially is expiring, you know, I so. know <laughs> I'm not saying for you, but like mine's four and a half and I, I witness her face mm-hmm. and I just look at it and I'm like, I just, I can't bear for her face to change anymore. I don't know if you have that feeling, but I guess it's like when, you know, my other child is nine, 10. And so obviously I see her growing into a young adult and that's painful, but I feel it's really difficult when they change from like a baby to a, like a little girl Mm -hmm. and, and, and their facial features are changing and they're just not a baby anymore. And, Mm -hmm. and my, my littlest one has her, her, um, her, her little nanai, we call it, and she holds it at night and that's going to pass, you know, and everything passes. And I know that, but there's, I feel like nostalgia and the sense of nostalgia is a really, I know people might like the feeling. I don't, I don't like the feeling of nostalgia. I don't like the feeling Mm -hmm. of seeing my kids when they were babies, it doesn't make me feel like, oh, look at them. They were so cute. It makes me miss it, you know? And I, I feel like I'm in the stage where I'm just about to feel that feeling like I'm missing it. And yeah, I think that's one of the the reasons why I want another child is just like, I want that to keep going, but I have to tell myself, you can't have small children for the rest of your life. Like at some point it's going to stop. Like that's what my husband says, he goes, but then the third child will grow up. Then the fourth child will grow up. And I'm like, yeah, but at least it's more, more of that for a longer period of time. That's, that's, that's my theory anyway. I feel the exact same way. I am the same way. Cause some parents are like, oh, I can't wait till all my kids are in school and I get this free time back. And I'm completely opposite. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good date with my husband, just us to like recharge, but I also love, you know, being at home with the kids for the summer and taking them to 
go do summer activities and just soaking up all of the little, those little stages that are just so precious to us. So I'm like you, I can have, I could have so many kids if, if I could, but my whole motto is babies don't keep. And that's what has helped me (laughs) because they don't, but dogs do. So you guys, it's all about having dogs. <laughs> but they get, only live for 10 years. I know. Well, sometimes 10 to 15 years. That's so. the sad part. I'm like, I know, dogs do. Yeah, it's so sad. I know it's, it's, it's hard because it's like you guys are saying. I mean, it is sad to see them kind of like change like this. But it's also kind of exciting too. Because like now my daughter just turned nine. And I feel like she's now, you know, she's pretty self-sufficient but I'm actually kind of excited for how I'm hoping we have a good relationship in the teenage years, but I mean, I'm kind of excited to see where that goes, you know, like, are we going to be really close? You know, like, are we going to do fun? Like mommy daughter trips? Are we going to, you know what I mean? Like the, the, there are exciting things to come too, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. That, that is, such a good way to look at it. Cause I have an 11 year old mm. and just the difference between the 11 year old and then my five-year-old, I also have a seven-year-old in between there too. But, mm-hmm. you know, I do tell her like, we don't have to be like that mother and daughter who don't get along. Like we can mm-hmm. have a great relationship, you know? And, and it is cool seeing her grow that way. But I think mm-hmm. because the decision was made for me and not by me, mm-hmm. like I have no choice. I know I don't want to adopt, like that's for sure. But I, like I'm done. I have to be done. So it's helping me get into this transition easier than what it is for you. I think, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, well, maybe what I've had, should I have another one? Like just one more, you know, or it being scared that I may have birth, you know, having something like that happen again. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, yeah, no, it's hard. It's all hard. He, he starts kindergarten we yeah. school July 31st here. Oh, <gasps> wow. That's early. Uh, we have a fall break though. Okay. So for two weeks in October, but, um, I'm already like crying about it. Cause I'm just, he's going to kindergarten and it's my last, I like, know oh. it's such a big step. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a loss, right? I can't, you know, you can't really explain it until you go through it, but it's just a loss. And I'm, I'm there with my little list mm-hmm. and, um, but me too, you know, I had a uterine rupture. There's, um, so when you get a C-section, for anyone who doesn't know, they obviously stitch you up in, internally. And what can happen is when you have another baby after you've already had a C-section, that baby can, um, they can grow. And my kids are always so big. It normally happens with bigger babies. They're, they're, they can actually push through that uterine wall and into, I mean, you're a nurse, right? Am I explaining this right? And into your stomach. So that baby can ultimately end up in your stomach and and there's no real symptoms for that. You just end up, you know, dying because you can't have a baby in your stomach and the baby can't live in your stomach. And there's no real way to know that it's going to happen unless they're monitoring you in the hospital. And so when I had Lennon, I thought everything was fine. And afterwards, when, you know, I've obviously on so many drugs, when you have a C-section and you're awake. And when I started coming off the drugs, the doctor came in and he said, look, um, you know, we could have had a really bad emergency situation here. And I was like, well, that's the baby's here. What do you mean? And he said, Lennon's face was, you could see her face almost through that wall. He said, if you had laughed in some kind of, you know, intense way before, just before you gave birth or like a week ago, 
uh, Phoenix, who's my first daughter, would have jumped on me or I would have slipped or anything, Lennon would have ended up in my stomach. And I didn't know how close it was. I didn't know about this at all, but I didn't even know how close it was until he told me. And he said, we were like, you, we could see her face. Like her face was coming through. And so it isn't safe, I don't think, mm-hmm. for me to have a third child, you know, but because I didn't, it w- because it didn't end badly like your, mm. you know, yours did. And because I didn't know about it, it's almost like I've put it to the back burner um, and I haven't gone through the same trauma that you've mm. been through. Because don't you have, I mean, I had a little bit of post-traumatic trauma from my first child because I never thought I was gonna have a C-section. Obviously, again, it didn't end up like what happened to you, but it was very intense for what I thought the whole experience was going to be. Um, did you have post-traumatic, tra- post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic trauma after your third child was born um, that like you would wake up and have panic or anxiety or depression? Did you go through those emotions afterwards or did you have a new baby obviously that you just had to focus on that you couldn't really think about that? Yeah, no, I, uterine rupture is, is really serious. That's scary. Yeah. You definitely could have died. That's so scary. Um, yeah. So when I got home, I, you're in the motion of that was with your second baby, you said. So I had a yeah, C-section with both, but the second baby, I didn't know, um, I was that close to a uterine rupture mm-hmm. until, until she was out. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting out and then, you knowing you have to take care of the other baby, I felt like my other one wasn't just two yet. So she was turning two the following month when I got home. And then I had my five-year-old that was at home as well. And I, my husband's an entrepreneur and, you know, if he doesn't work, he's not going to make money. So he had to fly out to LA and go work just a week after. So I was just like in the trenches of, mm. God, I have to hold myself together. So I feel like I had delayed a trauma response mm. and it happened I would say a year out from everything, once the one year mark happened, I was having a lot more emotions. Of course I was crying between, you know, zero and one. I, I, they had me on all the pain medications and I was drinking some beer as well. Like, I mean, I, I was pretty depressed with it. Uh, but I think pregnant women, you know, seeing a pregnant woman, every time the thought would go through my head, I hope you don't die. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I was having these vulgar like thoughts like that. And it has taken definitely, you know, time to heal. And now that I'm five years out, my whole therapy has been to get back into the delivery room Mm. and to help these moms with their experiences and help them have an amazing birth. But I'm also, you know, I worked in pediatric ICU. So I saw some of the most, saddest scenarios and you know how y'all were talking about like things come in threes Mm. and that's how it is in in the hospital too with deaths like deaths come in threes and I I would just think of like some of those patients that I had that didn't make it or some that you know were close to death and I just thought but I did I did make it I'm here and I'm so thankful but I I definitely had those stages of grief like you were saying you know I Mm. I had PTSD and everything finally got a therapist like four years out if you can do it earlier the better and you know also advising like a life coach I don't know if y'all are into the life coach but I feel like a life coach can bring in you know positive things for you to like goals and stuff 
I'm Roxy's life coach. Yes. <laughs> Tamman gives me a lot of life coaching. I know. I do. I do. <laughs> life coach. I mean, I love, love a good life coach. Mm. So, but yeah, no, it was hard. It, it's definitely hard. It, it was hard. And, and I yeah. think the survivor versary every time on his birthday is like a rebirth mm. for me, yeah. but you can, you know, ha- like I absolutely, you know, you can hate, like, I hate the day that my son was born, but I love it at the same time. So knowing and accepting that you can have two of those feelings at the same time, that's completely normal. And that's fine. Mm. What was it like to, cause you say, um, you know, you're working as a doula now helping women in like labor and delivery. What was it like stepping back into the delivery room for the first time after you went through this? Like, was it hard? Was it traumatic? Were you getting like flashbacks of like what you went through? Like, how was that? And how did you handle it? I think I was more on high alert, like, okay, I'm looking for signs and symptoms for the mom, um, mm. more of the background stuff, like ICU stuff, mm-hmm. uh, things that she's feeling, things that she's saying, and just really tuning into her. And I'm in the room with her the whole time where the nurse is stepping out, you know, every so often, every two hours comes back in. And I felt honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't a scary situation for me. Mm. I, I just felt like I'm on my game. I'm focused and I'm ready to go. Mm. Okay. Wow. That takes a lot of strength though, though, you know, I think, you know, coming from the medical field, we're such a different breed Mm. and your dad would say the same. I bet like, you know, you see so many different codes and different things. It kind of just, you build up a thick skin Mm -hmm. in a way. You have to, it's the only way you can survive and survive and, and be in that and, and also save other people's lives. If you're thinking about your own mental health while someone is not doing very well, it's not going to behoove the patient, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have to. Well, I'm so grateful you shared our story. Mm. Our time is up with you, but please mm. stay in touch with us. I follow yeah. all your TikToks and, 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 and your Instagram reels. And I'm, you know, it's so wonderful to see mm-hmm. somebody turn their pain into purpose. And that's a really big one for me. Like when you go through something, how can you help other people either not go through it or deal with the emotions that happen and, and anything physical afterwards, um, how you can be of service. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. and please let everyone know where they can find you and if they want to find out more and if they want to hear more about your story. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Mm -hmm. So you can find me on my handle at before you push on TikTok, on Instagram. And I have a Facebook page as well too. Or if you go to my website at uh, before you push.com, I have my services on there and everything. So yeah. Um, but thank y'all so much for having me. Uh, this has been amazing. Y'all are amazing. I listened, I've been listening to y'all's podcast. Just Yay. so you know, <laughs> on sorry top. in advance. <laughs> I'm always, I always say, I apologize to people. I'm like, are you want to come on? Uh, maybe don't listen to it before you go. Yeah. <laughs> we were a little rough in the beginning, but I, yeah, we were rough. I, I don't know if we were rough. I think we were just, I don't really drink anymore. I think we were just drunk. We were definitely drunk at the beginning. We were definitely <laughs> drinking. And I was so nervous about like being boring that I was like, just say everything. And now I'm like, oh gosh, what is going to come back to bite us at some point? Oh my gosh, y'all are just so comfortable and like awesome to be around because I mean, I was looking you up too and you were on Pretty Little Liars and I watched Pretty Little Liars and 
Um, I was kind of that bitch that she seems to be. I'm a very nice person. (laughs) I mean, Roxy might think differently. Roxy depends on the day. I wasn't rude to you on my period this month, Roxy. I was like, good. (laughs) Yes, you were. You were. What have you? What have you been doing? Over. Oh, my period's over. Okay, and you never even knew. Never knew. It came and it went. I mean, it was. It just came in and and out. What happens when you get old? I was like three days in, three days out. Um, no, but I've been giving hell. My husband, my poor husband's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, do I have to spell it out again? I am menstruating. Like I am menstruating. He's like, but does it mean you have to act like this? I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> yes. That's so. the only good thing about not having a uterus is I have no period. I still ovulate, but oh, not period is amazing. And that's how men have it so easy. That's when it clicked. I'm like, y'all don't have to bleed every single month. Like we do, you know, see, there is a silver lining, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of nice. Cool. Yeah. It's so you nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, before you guys hear this, I'm like, right. there's construction outside, there are ambulances outside. So before I make our, our, our listeners just turn this show off because they're like, Tavin's sound is terrible with all the sound. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment. We are Women on Top Official on Instagram and Women on Top Podcast on Facebook and Women on Top Official on TikTok. And mm-hmm. I am Tevin Sersok. <laughs> and I am Roxy Manning. And we are Women on Top. top. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>